Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to this week's Huffington Post Politics Podcast, when we will be talking about the big issues of the political week looking at votes for 16- and 17-year-olds in the EU referendum, how it ain't going to happen, Angela Eagle's barnstorming performance at Prime Minister's Questions, the nonsense that is Donald Trump, and looking back, if you cast your mind back, to last week's by-election victory for the Labour Party in Oldham. Joining me, as ever, we have Paul War and Graeme Demonique, and we're going to start with talking about the votes at 16. This week, the House of Commons again rejected a House of Lords amendment saying that 16 and 17-year-olds should be allowed to vote. Here is a clip of Cabinet Office Minister John Penrose outlining one reason why he didn't think 16-year-olds should get the vote. In fact, the last Labour government even raised the age for, for using a sunbed from 16 to 18. Mr Speaker, it surely cannot be right to argue that someone aged 16 cannot be trusted to decide on the risks of getting a tan, but they can be trusted to choose who should govern the country. Not the most usual tactic there, Graham, is it, for uh, arguing against 16, 17-year-olds getting the vote? It, yeah, well, it, it, there's a novelty factor to that, I suppose. Usually it's kind of to do with the army or uh, or, or kind of taxation or stuff like that. Someday. He did mention yeah. that you can't drive a bus when you're 16 or 17 as well. That was another one of his reasons. Oh, right. Yeah. It was, was it, is it just a, a list of obscure facts? It was. Things that you can't do at 16. I'm not saying he was grasping at straws. No. But it seemed that way, especially when people kept standing up and saying, well, they voted in the Scottish independence referendum. And he didn't really have an answer as to why... Yeah. They couldn't then vote. Paul, what did you make of it? Because the government aren't giving way on this, are they? I think your point about Scotland is really important. This is why it's got so much freight <laughs> and weight, this whole debate, is because in Scotland it was deemed a massive success giving 16 and 17-year-olds a vote in the independence referendum. Labour and the Lib Dems down here would like to repeat that success. And um, Labour and the Lib Dems have a majority in the House of Lords. And as ever, this is where they trying to apply most pressure. Uh, so the Lords had an amendment saying, look, we'd like to amend this EU referendum bill to insert the right to vote for younger people under 18. Government dead against it, as we've heard from the Minister. Uh, what was interesting was Vicky Foxcroft made this extraordinary speech of Labour MP, a new Labour MP, um, in the debate, in which she did cite the no representation without taxation. Excellent. And classic. she said, at the very core of the American Revolution, and she said, how long will it be before young people start to rise up over this issue? Now, so revolutions in the air. Now, what happens in the House of Lords and the House of Commons is not so revolutionary. It's all about tactics, about procedure. And the Labour in the Lords are pretty damn good at tactics and procedure. But what happened this week was that the government thought they'd um, uh, stymie Labour's ping-pong attempts. We all love calling it ping-pong, don't we? We love that phrase. So so ping-pong is when the Lords bats something back to the House of Commons that it doesn't like and the Commons bats back the same bill and it goes to and fro, and it's like a table tennis match. Now, what happened this week was that the government decided to take one, take Labour's bat away, should we say, right. by um, uh, deeming this particular bill uh, a, a financial bill, or rather the Speaker deemed it that way, and as a result, Labour been le- left at a disadvantage. What we learned late last night was that Labour's 
gone out and bought a new table tennis bat. It's got a new amendment. It's slightly tweaked. It's a wh- whiff waff. They're playing whiff Exactly, a whiff waff. And what they're going to do is they're going to, instead of talking about votes at 16, they're going to talk about enfranchising and registering 15 year olds ahead of the referendum. So it's quite a clever way around it. This is all going to come to a head next week, and we'll talk about it probably next week. But on Monday, the, the Lords are almost certainly going to kick it back to the Commons. Then it'll go back again to the Lords probably on Thursday. And Thursday is when the House of Commons rises for Christmas recess. But the Lords doesn't rise until the following Tuesday. Oh, so right. this is going to go right to the wire. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. So I'm going to have to work longer. That's, what what you're telling for, me. that's exactly what you're here for, Paul. Um, um, it, one of the reasons that the, the anti-EU brigade don't like the idea of 60 and 70 year olds voting is that there's this notion, there's this fear they have that, uh, that kids are brainwashed in school with pro-EU propaganda. And I remember earlier in the year, Patrick O'Flynn, MEP for UKIP, handing me colouring books, which he, showed, which he claimed showed that children from an early age are indoctrinated with the, kind of the love of the EU, which does seem slightly sort of tinfoil hat kind of approach to it all. Um, I caught up with Caroline Lucas, who was the Green MP, to ask her, his view, her views on this. She is very much pro having the referendum. She's also very pro Britain staying in the EU. And I kicked off the conversation by asking her what she thought about the fact that, again, this lowering the age for people to take vote in the referendum had been rejected. Well, I'm extremely disappointed that the Commons rejected it. There is an irony, of course, that we're depending on the unelected Lords to actually help us on this one, but I think they had a much better debate and certainly a much better conclusion when they decided that they thought that 16 and 17-year-olds should be allowed to vote. Personally, I would support that for elections generally, but I also think, even for people that don't want to do that for ordinary elections, there is a special case to be made when it comes to this referendum, because it's not a decision that can be easily revoked very soon afterwards. You know? So the decision that we take on this EU referendum will absolutely you know, make a huge difference to people's lives, young people's lives, for the next decades to come. And for that reason, I think that young people should have a much stronger voice in deciding whether or not they want to be part of the EU or not. Uh, so that was Caroline Lucas there. I wanted also to ask this week about the fact that she stepped down as a patron to stop the war coalition. However, I was told that I wasn't allowed to ask her that. She was doing no broadcast on that particular topic, which is a bit disappointing, but there we go. Um, anyway, so that, that, we're going to be keep coming back to this, I guess. Um, this week, of course, David Cameron was off around Europe, wasn't he, trying to get more agreement for his, his renegotiation before the referendum. Any success, Paul? Uh, well, so far, I mean, as of now, Thursday, lunchtime, it looks like he's just had a, a, a resounding no from the Polish government for his plan on uh, banning foreign migrants from claiming in-work benefits in the UK for four years. And this is a plan he's, he's putting around the whole of Europe. He's desperate to make it succeed, to make it look like he's getting some real um, difference that he's made on the whole issue of immigration ahead of the referendum. Um, he's, he's got a knockback from the Poles. It looks like he's a knockback from the Romanians. Lots of others in Europe don't like the idea. Um, but as we saw in PMQs this week, the whole idea of uh, whether or not he was making any progress was manna from heaven for Labour. Before we get to PMQs, it's time for this week's quiz. All right? Yeah. Fabulous. Looking forward to this, aren't you, Graham? Yeah, highlight of the week. This week, it's a quiz about uh, voting ages around the world. <laughs> and the quiz is called... Talking about my representation. Because that's a pun on talking, talking about, about my, my generation. generation. So you've got to decide yeah. if right? Yeah. If the kids are all right, which means under 18s get the vote, yeah. or who are you means it's just 18s and over. And they're both who songs. They are. Right? And yeah, I imagine that is... a lot of our listeners like the who. <laughs> yeah, we're, 
keying into the key Just before we do the quiz, I want to point out that it was our Christmas party last night and yeah. there is a little bit of green around the gills thing going on here. So this might not be up to the usual high standard of such hits as Old and Blue or Just Not True. Yeah. So I'm going to say a country. People are going to the archives though, can't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Time, it's timeless stuff. Um, I'm going to name a country and you've got to tell me whether we're not <laughs> under 18 to get the vote or not. Okay. okay. This is good. This is good. Educational as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Else. Cameroon. It's, uh, it, kids, kids are all right under 18s. Or who are you? 18s and over. Graham, <laughs> who you are you? Yeah, it's got to be who are you, surely. You're right. It's 21. It's 21. 21. I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, Ecuador. My knowledge of Ecuador. Come on, Graham. What do you reckon? Ecuador is it? Enfranchisement in Ecuador. Um, I'm going to say the first one. Kids are all right. Kids are all right. Yeah, 16. 16. Yeah, here we are. Uh, South Korea. Are the kids? Kids are all right under 18s, or who are you? 18s and over. <laughs> kids are all right. Come on, yeah. maybe they'll go ahead. No, it's 19 in South Korea. 19. Why? Only 18 in North Korea. So you know, in their elections. Uh, <laughs> Venezuela, and you should know this. Been in the news this week, so I imagine you two are abreast of your South American yeah. politics. And there's a reference to voting age was there in many of the stories. Absolutely, it's got to be kids are all right because Corbynistas, you know, yeah. Venezuelans, right on, radical. I'm no, right. it's eighteen. Oh, 18. Uh, and finally, uh, Bosnia. Have you got to go under <laughs> 18 or over 18 to vote? A this young, is a bad, young, isn't it? A young country, it's got to be. A, a, a young nation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think kids are all right. 16, okay. 16. You're half right. 18, but 16 if you're employed. Oh. Yeah. That Which is good, isn't it? Taxation. Exactly, taxation yeah. That's good. Maybe we should be doing that. It was actually floated in the morning. I like that. Yeah, anyway. Enough about that nonsense. Thank you, Alan. More of that next week. Um, I've lost a bit of paper we're doing. Oh, yeah, PMQs. Right, so PMQs this week was good because it wasn't Jeremy Corbyn standing up, reading out questions from people, because it wasn't Jeremy Corbyn at all. It was Angela Eagle versus uh, the Chancellor, George Osborne. Now, for the people who sort of know a bit about the Commons, one of the great highlights before the election was Angela Eagle versus William Hague at Business Questions every Thursday when William Hague was the leader of the House of Commons because they had this fantastic rapport with each other, told great jokes, took the mick out of each other and it was, it was really good fun. So we thought, could Angela bring a little bit of that to PMQs? But let's start by listening to the reception that she got from Labour MPs when she stood up to the dispatch box. Angela Eagle. It's, uh, it's nice to get such a warm welcome. A little dig there, perhaps, the lack of support that Jeremy Corbyn normally gets. Graham, what did you make of it this week? Do you think Angela Eagle did well? Did, were we looking at a leader in waiting here? Um, a leader in waiting, well, that was going to always be the kind of first story that, that Wags would write as soon as anyone has a good. Who would write? Wags? Footballers? Footballers, what? No, kind of cheeky, cheeky types. Kind of oh, right, okay, right. Um, it's very similar to in the way that uh, after Hillary Benn made his um, widely well-received speech last week, uh, everyone's writing up as a new leader. Um, I'm not sure about that, but in terms of her performance, it was it was it was fantastic from beginning to end. She she can tell a joke, she can uh, probe, she can um, uh, get stories, land blows on 
on her opponents. I thought she was. I thought she was fantastic. Because this week she talked about flood defences. She talked about Cameron's EU renegotiation, which we've talked about. She made a couple of jokes at the fact that George Osborne was spending more time preparing to be the next prime minister because Cameron's already pre-resigned, which I thought was quite a nice phrase. Actually, hadn't heard that before. Um, Paul, what did you make? How do you think Osborne coped with it? Because Osborne is seen at the moment as a man who sort of stars on the rise. Well, Peter Bone put it well. He referred to the Chancellor as the acting Prime Minister uh, during what we can now call APMQs, Acting Prime Minister's Question. Right. <laughs> because that's the way a lot of people thought that, um, uh, that Angela was behaving as well. Well, for Osborne, he didn't make any, he didn't drop any clangers. You know, he did, did okay. Um, he didn't, he was very nervous of being up against uh, Angela Eagle because of the calm down dear history that, that she'd had with David Cameron before. It's much tougher uh, for him in that sense. But he didn't knock out of the park at all. Uh, and I have to say that he looked kind of tone deaf in, in parts. There were sort of answers to, on things like tax credits and benefits for, for rape victims. That he just kind of missed the mood of the house. And, we, and it was a little bit like, um, you know, the moment when he was in front of that awful uh, the Olympic Stadium where he started booed. There, there are occasional moments where you hear the old George Osborne coming back, you know, with that, that old George, you just can't listen. But he didn't drop the ball, and he, I think most of his people around him think he did okay. Um, he one, seemed to me like a cricket player who was at the crease, and he just wasn't quite getting the runs. He wasn't quite swinging right. He was sort of doing everything, but he just, just wasn't quite there. Just, thought, Graham, just, what did you he's think? Just not very, he's not very good. It, it, in the kind of double act that is Cameron and Osborne, kind of Osborne is, is the brains to kind of... Um, uh, How are you going to finish this sentence? Go on. Uh, the, 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 the kind of the, the charm and the suaveness, perhaps, of... Of David Cameron, the, the chairman versus the chief executive thing, um, and this was kind of the chief executive doing the kind of chairman's role this week, and and he, he wasn't very good the last time he did PMQs as well. He was he put his foot in it again, mistimed joke. He uh, seems to have on, these jokes on, prepared. On it's almost ben. like I paid for them. I better use them, whether or not they're any good, right? Which the curious thing is, is is who's the front man? I mean, obviously Osborne is actually very witty in private, and he will supply some of. Cameron's best gags at PMQs, but it's not him. It's not Cameron being the front man this week. It's Osborne doing it. It's, it just shows how in politics, you know, that that is an important bit of the job. Just as Andrew Eagle showed this week that a bit of wit, a bit of performance, mm. actually does matter in politics. And I know a lot of Corbynistas think that Hillary Benn's speech was sort of totally overregged because it was all sort of about style rather than substance. And a lot of the, the people think that's Corbyn's best card, is that he's all about substance. He doesn't need the fripperies of oratory or style. But actually, you can do both. And the best political jokes are the ones that really bite. And I think that's what Eagle showed this week. And also, Gordon Brown was another one, wasn't he? When he came in, he said, I'm going to be all about the substance, not the style of Blair. And very quickly, he realised that he actually needed a little bit of style as well. Um, there's been certainly substance or style I think to uh, Donald Trump who has absolutely dominated the front pages and not that we care because we're online but it's dominated the newspapers and, and news bulletins this week with his comments uh, about how he didn't want to let any Muslims into America that's pretty nonsense but it seemed to really land over here as well Graham why do you think that was? Well there was, there was initial, the initial kind of comment on a Muslim should be banned entry into, into the US but he, kind of, he followed that up within, within hours by also making a reference to, uh, to, to London and London being so radicalised that um, police officers lived in, lived in fear for their lives which, which kind of added another UK dimension to it and not only uh, would, would, it, would, it, would he be allowing uh, uh, British politicians and celebrities and the general public to condemn him on his Muslims in America comment, it, it, it allowed us to kind of 
get our leg over the story, so to speak, in Britain by saying, "Well, what, what, what does he know? What does he know about that?" Get our leg over the story. Yeah, that's. It's a, fr- it's a phrase, though. Isn't is it? Journalism. All right. Yeah, yeah. journalism. You. <laughs> Not familiar, familiar with it. it. No. no. Okay. But Graham um, managed to chat to uh, to Theresa May, didn't you, about exactly this point? Yeah. So we so 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 throughout the week, um, pretty much every, anyone who was anyone was commenting on 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 how how dreadful the comments were. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson, J.K. Rowling. Dis- Compared into being worse than Voldemort. Is it Voldemort? I'm not Voldemort. I'm not pronounce that right. Um, but then we had a briefing with uh, Theresa May, and I put it to her uh, what she thought of London comments, and she made plain that um, uh, London police officers don't live in fear; they're not afraid. And uh, uh, Trump is effectively talking absolute, absolute nonsense. But perhaps the most interesting aspect of of, of that little chat I had with her was that. Um, this idea about Donald Trump being banned from the UK. Because um, it's a petition, isn't there? I mean, as we, as we record this, the petition's at 410,000. Yeah, so, so the, he, he does have business interests in the UK. He, he's a kind of frequent visitor over here. Um, should he be banned from the UK? Osborne was the first to make a suggestion that, no, we have to defeat him by debating him rather than, rather than banning him. Um, and May, when we spoke to her, she wouldn't even touch it. She, she, she said that, we don't comment on specific cases. So if it did come to pass that Donald Trump wants to visit one of his three golf courses in, in Britain um, and people would be saying uh, he's a hate preacher, I don't think the government will be banning him any time. Do you think... That, okay, I know we're not supposed to give opinions because we're impartial journalists, but we're going to do it anyway. Paul, do you think he should be banned for his comments? No, because we, as political journalists and, and as with politicians... We're interested in debate, you know, unless it can be seen that he incited a racial hatred, which is borderline at the very best, uh, then, of course, he should be allowed to stay, to to come over. But we haven't talked about what is interesting about this, which is Trump himself. Why does Trump say these things? And from a British point of view, it's interesting. It's not just over there, sort of American oddity, because, as you know, uh, Owen, you know, Nigel Farage made a career out of saying things that were kind of outlandish, not as outlandish as Trump, but he would sort of get a reaction of a blowback from the liberal media and from sort of liberal voters. Everyone would say, hold their hands up in horror, you can't say that. And he would be more popular as a result because he was kind of saying the unsayable, saying the things that guys in the pub were saying, people on the doorsteps in the workplaces were saying, and felt were unsayable. And I think that's what's interesting about this whole debate because... He really represents and, and speaks to the white working class in America who feel alienated, who feel none of the mainstream politicians are representing them. Now, you might say it's utterly cynical, therefore, to exploit people's worst fears about terrorism and about religion. Um, but he's doing it quite effectively. And don't forget, he's the front runner, and he's the front runner for a reason. I thought this week, by the way, one of the most interesting things was not even his Muslim remarks, but his tweet in the week, which was... of voters in a new poll show that if he's barred from the Republican race, he'll run as an independent and they'd vote for him. And he's got the money to do it, of course. Um, You mentioned Nigel Farage there. He sort of came back into the news a little bit this week, mainly because UKIP did so terribly at the Oldham by-election. I mean, this was a week ago now, but I still think it's important just to talk about because this was seen as an opportunity for UKIP to continue their growth in the north, and they didn't. They came very distant second to Labour in the Oldham West and Royton by-election. I want to talk a little bit 
about the guy who won, Jim McMahon. He's a guy that you've interviewed, Paul. He's a leader of Oldham Council up there, very popular guy. What, what impressions do you get of him when you met him? Because some people are even saying, is this, is this an, another leader of the Labour Party you know, to put alongside Angela Regal and, and yeah. Hilary Benn? But what well, did you make of him, Paul? Well, he's a very talented politician, even though he's a local politician, or was when, we, when I talked to him. Um, he's built this reputation. He's still only 35, Jim McMahon. And yet he's... No age, is it, Graham? He, he's shown... No. A, a, it's quite, it's quite, not only has he got political nous, he's got real passion for his area, and he, and he, he loves doing things rather than just talking about them. And given that Labour are in opposition, and are going to be for the next five years, and have been for five years, they need as many people who can prove that they're doing things at local level as possible. And he's done things locally. You know, I know Oldham pretty well. And, you know, derelict town hall, the derelict town centre, a lot of trade going out, and he's reversed a lot of that. The council was, on, was not seen as very good. He's now one of the highest performing councils. He's got investment back in. He's got the private sector in. He's got regeneration schemes working. And it's a town that people are feeling more proud of. And he's managed to do that. We were just talking about, you know, race and politics. Um, he's managed to do that while at the same time appealing to both the white working classes and the Asian people in, in Oldham and, and unifying them. And he's, he's one to watch simply because he's quite deft at, at politics. He really is. But, 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 sorry, Graham. But it isn't, isn't the more interesting story coming from this is, is, is the UKIP story um, in as much as we went into it through looking at through the prism of what does this mean for Jeremy Corbyn and... Probably in reality, it was either way. It, 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 it's too soon in his tenure for for it to make a blind bit of difference in terms of, in terms of assessing how well he's doing. But the reality was that that UKIP didn't come anywhere near to touching them. They, they were briefing out in, in the in in the days beforehand that they would be getting within a couple hundred votes of, of Labour. They were saying, and, yeah, they were certainly saying. The reality is, yeah, where are UKIP? Where well, are UKIP, UKIP have gone backwards, and I think that you know they. Farage's on resignation, I still don't think they realise the damage that's done because Farage can no longer play the I'm not one of the other politician card. Because he, 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 in the mind of the public, he looks just like another politician who's, who's just hanging in there for all he yeah. can get. Uh, I think that they've been marginalised by Jeremy Corbyn and his rise, the, the media narrative around UKIP. First of all, it shifted because of the SNP and then it shifted because of Corbyn. I think they lost a bit of impetus. I think they're not sure how to run a political party alongside trying to get out of the EU. They're not sure how to split the resources. Nigel Farage is pretty much focused on that all the time now, as, as you would do, because that's your political goal, right? So why not focus exclusively on that? I think it is at the detriment to the party. Um, just very, very quickly, Paul, you, uh, as always, had your ear pressed up to the door of the Parliamentary Labour Party meeting this week. It wasn't quite as far as normal, because, again, Jeremy Corbyn wasn't there. Just very quickly, what was, what was it like this week? Well, the most interesting thing was Jim McMahon's arrival. He was cheered to the rafters, not too surprisingly. Lots of you know, um, applause and desk banging. Um, and the only thing that rivaled that in terms of excitement this week was the fact that Rosie Winterton received a large round of and, uh, She's a round the chief of whip, of course. The, the chief whip for Labour. Um, because uh, she'd uh, been under fire in the papers at the weekend. People had been briefing that she was going to lose a job, that, you know, she hadn't been too supportive of Jeremy Corbyn, so therefore m maybe she and others would be kicked out in a revenge reshuffle. Uh, Gavin Shuka, a, a Labour MP, raised this whole issue of a revenge reshuffle at the PLP and said, can we get it clear that there will be no political uh, punishments for people who didn't vote the right way on Syria? And she very uh, clearly said, no, there wouldn't be any political consequences and won a very large round of applause. And that, in Labour terms, was the PLP circling their wagons around Rosie Winterton saying, look, 
Here's one of our own. You're not going to bump her off. Excellent. Just finally, Graham, your stat of the week, please. We almost missed it, didn't we? We almost missed it, it's, but... It was halfway in the, in the running order. Yeah, and, but and it so neatly ties just... up all our threads, doesn't Go it? Go on. OK, so the stat of the week this week is there were more Americans shot by their dogs, six people, than British, peop- than British police killed in terror attacks in the last five years, which was zero. So... Thank you to Paul Wall for this week's yeah. Stat of the Week. Send Thanks, that, Paul. Send that to Donald Trump. Excellent. Thanks very much, uh, guys, and we'll be back next week. Uh, until then, see you later. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.